Okay, this is our weekly Bible study for uh, January 19th, 2007. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just do basically like we usually do, where we get into some current events to start off things. Uh, I received this from uh, Jack Chick. He puts out a, uh, uh, every couple of months, a newsletter called Battle Cry. And the, the lead article is, is entitled, You Probably Know This Woman. And this is very good, succinct article. What I did is I took this and expounded on it a little bit more um, and uh, forwarded it out to, the, to my uh, email list. And it starts out, it says, to the Aztecs, now this is, you probably know this woman, okay? To the Aztecs, she was known as, I can't even pronounce it, Plas O Ta O Tul. Yeah. She was the goddess, um, she was the goddess of filth, gambling, prostitution, witchcraft, among other things. So she was a good girl. Uh, she was also known to the Aztecs as Cotlacue. Um, in the form of Cotlacue, she was a virgin goddess who became pregnant. The son she bore was supposed to be Witsilopochitli, the chief god of the Aztecs, reincarnated as a baby. Where do we hear this now? I wonder where... Is this the basis for all pagan religions? Evidently it is. Started way back in Babylon. Nimrod, Semiramis, and then you got Tammuz. So it's the same story repackaged. The Aztec moon goddess is another form of Semiramis as the image gravitated to the Americas. She was also a virgin who gave birth to the sun god. Um, on this, And their name for the sun god is just something different, but the sun god was Tammuz. Okay, that was the original sun god, the reincarnated... Uh, form of Nimrod, Tammuz. So, um, and she was also the goddess of prostitution. So we have the most vile, vile, vile things being the actual basis and foundation for basically all pagan religious systems in the world. And it's it's repackaged. Now, you would say, well, how did it get over into, into Central America or into South America? And why, how could this all be created? Well, okay, you have, you have Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and then... Um, when Ham, which which I believe is just where you really get the propagation of it, obviously because through the lineage of Ham, you have um, Nimrod. Okay, so through that lineage, you're going to get where the pagan religions really uh, emanate from. And what ended up happening is, is yes, they settled into the places like Egypt, into Africa, and those types of places, and um, that's where they kind of set up shop. But the pagan religion permeated the world, essentially. And there's a Bible verse um, that says that in Peleg's days, the land was divided. I don't know if you're familiar with that Bible verse in, in Genesis. Now, Peleg was a predecessor to um, even Noah, but... Um, or no, was that after? No, it was before. It was before. Um, Peleg... It says, in those days, the day was, the land was divided. Now, this is in Genesis in the Bible. And I believe this is where a lot of the lands 
land masses that we have now today were actually probably divided. And you had people that had their own sect of paganism. Now they were on their own separate continent by themselves, and then they perpetuated that. And everybody's going to have their own flavor. Paganism is always going to manifest a different flavor. And at the Tower of Babel, when everybody was separated, okay, they, they took all their pagan religions to different parts of the arts of the world. And after that, the land was divided. So what ended up happening is, is, is you've got a lot of these same specific pagan religions. They're just repackaged. They're the same deal, same legends. They just call them different things, or they may look a little different. But it's all the same deal. And, and to me, I take a little bit of uh, comfort in that, because doesn't that make sense? I mean, that's how everything's got the way it is. It's not as though we've just had isolated groups that had nothing to do with one another at one time. Um, really, that when, when God came down to confuse them, the Tower of Babel, and they were confounded, I believe they took a little piece of their own paganism with them, and they had their own, again, flavor of paganism that they ended up propagating in some other part of the earth. That's why we can explain something like this with, with this reoccurring over and over and over again theme of, um, you know, you have the mother goddess with the father god, and then you've got baby boy god, okay, which is typically always referred to as the sun god. Um, moving on with this article, it says she was, now this is this pagan goddess, she was the goddess of the moon and of the morning and of the evening star, Venus. People who spoke different languages in other parts of the world called her by other names. Well, that's because the languages had been confounded at the Tower of Babel. That's why. That's why they called her different names. Because now, I mean, yesterday I could communicate with Jim. But now I can't communicate with Jim. I could communicate with Larry, but now I can't communicate with him anymore. That's what happened with Tower of Babel. So everybody went their own separate ways. Well, I can't... Uh, we, we no speak of the English anymore, okay? Sorry, we can't understand you. So, um, this also said, goes on to say, some of them called her Hecti, Astarte, Ishtar, Aphrodite, Venus, Isis, and Semiramis. These are all names of the same wicked goddess. And if you look in paganism, a commonly reoccurring theme, and this is in Freemasonry, this is in the Kabbalah, this is in all the highest levels, forms of witchcraft, this is Mormon, Mormons believe this at the deepest levels, that God, or the Godhead, they believe ultimately God is androgynous meaning he has both male and female sex organs, essentially. Okay, or, um, actually, that would be hermaphrodite. But androgynous means embodiment of, of all of this in one. Okay, they have this really warped, perverted view on this, on this. And they believe it's not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They believe it's Goddess, Father, Son. That's what they believe. It's their perversion of the pagan trinity is all it is. It's, if, if you think about it, Satan's always trying to pervert everything. It's all, he's always trying to do it. So, in its purest form, that's what it is. They're always doing that. And at the highest levels of all these occult religions, they always believe that there's this goddess figure. And typically, they believe it's not even fit to, to utter her name. That's what you see a lot of. Oh, it's not fit to utter her name. Um... We can't speak it. 
I think part of the reason they don't want to speak it because they don't want to be exposed. So these are these are just different names of the, basically the same devil, Hecti. Now Hecti is uh, um, really one of the, the, the although these are all the same, but as far as the way Hecti manifests, she's one of the nastiest of the nasty. I mean, she is. Um, Hecti and Lilith are basically, you consider them the goddesses of child sacrifice, of, of baby killing, of, um, of whoredoms and prostitution and witchcraft, and just, just the worst of the worst you can imagine. Okay? Um, Astarte. Okay? The Bible talks a lot about Astarte. And, and um, uh, it was one of the reasons that It was one of the reasons that Stephen ended up rebuking the uh, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I was just going to see if I could find that real quick. Well, he says, when he's rebuking them in Acts 7, he says, now this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then he ended up getting stoned in... in um, and uh, Saul was there to witness it. He says, Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your god, Rempham, figures which ye made to worship them, I will, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Okay, so, when we talk about stars and things of this nature, this is one of the reasons why this one goddess is named Astarte. Okay, because there's stars associated with them. Um, some of them are actually associated with the pentagram. Some of them are actually associated with the hexagram. I believe that this star they're in reference to here is the hexagram. And that's why it ended up appearing on the Israeli flag. Because that's the star of Rempham. Okay, so whether it's a five or six point star, they're both evil. Okay, they're both very, very evil. Uh, and then it says Ishtar. Ishtar was where we derive the word Easter from. Um, it's also where we get the word Astara from. Now, I did a little research this week, and on on um, March 21st and 22nd of every year, we have the pagan holiday called Astara, which is also where we derive the word Ishtar from. They're all connected. And then the next new moon after Ostara is where we determine Easter is. I don't know if you knew that. That's how they determine Easter. That's how you do it. It's all astrology. It's the only way you can determine it. That's why they say you have to have astrology to determine Easter. So that's how we get it. And both of those both of those holidays at the highest levels require human sacrifice. Both of them. Ostara and Ishtar, and Easter, which is where we get the goddess Ishtar from. Why, why, how does she have anything to do with it? Well, she's the fertility goddess as well. Remember what I said, she's the god of... Isn't it ironic she could also be the, the, the goddess of child sacrifice, yet at the same time be the fertility goddess? So she devours, yet supposedly she can give the gift of fertility. Well, how can you prove that? Well, what do you... What, just look at all the things surrounding Easter. You got bunny rabbits. Why do we have bunny rabbits? Because they're the fastest procreating animal, the fastest procreating mammal, I should say, on Earth. That's fertility. We have her coming down in a giant Easter egg falling from the heavens. This is how they 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 um, 
had uh, always depicted Ishtar in a multicolored egg. And what happens is it falls into like, I don't know, it's like the river Euphrates or the Nile or something. It floats over to the bank into a wicker reed. This is where we get wicker baskets to carry our Easter eggs in. I know it sounds crazy, but this is where we get these things. Um, and she was the fertility goddess. Okay, so um, everything that's associated with Easter, Easter bonnets, dressing up real fancy, Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, Easter baskets, all of it is pagan, every single bit of it. Um, so, and then it says she, and now this is a good one, I, I'm glad they said this, it said she also is known as the Roman Catholic Virgin Mary goddess. Oh, they, oh, now you've went too far there, uh, there, Brother Johnson, you, you, you went too far now, because she's the mother of one, the Bible never said that she lived in sinless perfection. She had to take sin offerings to the temple. She had to take sin offerings to the temple, just like everybody else did. In fact, I believe that she offered a dove. There's a whole track that Jack Chick wrote on this. Why is Mary crying? If you, if you doubt it, go get the track. I mean, the Bible verses, it's all in there. It's not my opinion. Um, the Bible says there's one moderator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, it says that in the New Testament. Now, there is no co-redemptrix. There is not another mediator between God and man. The woman Mary Mag... No, no, it's not like that. Mary's not our mediator. We do not go to Mary in order to get to God, to get to Jesus Christ. We don't do that. But that's what the uh, Catholics believe. But see, in, in the pagan religion, you would have to do that. You would have to do it. And then another thing, all you have to do is look at what are these apparitions that are popping up all over the world... What are these Marys saying? And if you look at the messages, these Marys, are these, these, these apparitions are saying, it's all paganism. It's basically, you have to come to me to get to heaven, to get to Jesus, and all these other things. And it's very, very centered on baby Jesus and Mary. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus isn't a baby anymore. And that's not what we should be emphasizing. He's also not on the cross, which is where the Catholics always depict him. He's not on the cross anymore. He's off the cross. Okay, but they want to keep re-crucifying him and re-crucifying him because that's how they perpetuate their religion. Uh, essentially, when you take Catholic communion, they believe through the process of sub transubstantiation that you are actually changing the wafer into the real flesh of Jesus Christ and that the wine actually gets transformed into his real blood. And in, a sense, in essence, what you're doing every time you're taking communion is re-crucifying Christ on the cross. You're redoing it because it has to be kept being redone. Because the redemption's never, ever complete. It's got to be something you do. See, it's never something Jesus did because when he said, what did he say when he was done? I think he said it is finished. So, but see, to the Catholic, it's never finished. It's always a work in progress. Well, what is that? That's works-based religion. That's what all pagan religions are based on. Working your way to nirvana, working your way to heaven, or wherever you're trying to get to. That's why they have the seven sacraments, because you're working, working, working. It's, it's ever-seeking knowledge, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and it's, it's not a free gift you, you receive, as the Bible says, for you're saved by grace, not... You know, through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.11. So, it's not that. It's purely what you do. So, this article goes on to say, her son had many names as well. 
some of them are Horus, Hippocrates, Mithras, Sol Inviticus, Hercules, Attis, and Tammuz. Now, Tammuz was the purest, the purest as far as going back in lineage of them all. I, I, he's the oldest of the bunch. Um, then, so, so what did these god babies have in common? Well, for one, they were all born on December 25th. Oh, imagine that. That's why I say, I mean, uh, when, when people were, were this, this holiday season, um, why do they call it holidays? Because to pagans, they are holy days. That's why they call it holiday. Okay? And, and I kept wanting to say all the time, Tammuz is the reason for the season, baby. Tammuz, he's the reason for the season, you know? Come on, let's get in the old, you know, Xmas spirit. Of course, to them, that is their Christ. That is their Messiah. It's a false Christ. It's an antichrist. But to them, that is their Christ. It's not the Christ of the Bible. So, you know, and a mass is typically something you would say for a dead person. So you have Christ. See, Tammuz was the reincarnated sun god. He died. Um, uh, Nimrod, Nimrod ended up dying and was reincarnated. Well, a lot of this has to do with death and life and the worshipping of the sun god and all this other stuff that's all tied together. And what they try to do is pervert it and combine that with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with it. It's been a pagan holiday from the get-go and Jesus has nothing to do with that. But they were all, all these gods, all these, these um, child gods were all born on December 25th. Just one more reason to have nothing to do with Christmas. Now for another... Um, the Roman Catholics know this God to be baby Jesus. See, it's a perversion. It's just, it's just a wolf in sheep's clothing. Bait and switch. Roman Catholicism is not Christianity. It is Satan's blend of ancient pagan religions made to look like Christianity. That's all it is. How did people come to worship an ancient goddess as the mother of God? How did her son get turned into the baby Jesus? How did all the pagan myths get turned into Roman Catholicism? Am I under her spell? And what does that mean for my Roman Catholic friends and loved ones? Well, I got news for you. You know, I'd be real careful about having a lot of really close Roman Catholic friends because the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Or Christ with Belial? Now, I'm not saying, you know, to have no association with any, but be, just be careful where you draw the line there. Because, I mean, if you get two buddy-buddies with them, I guarantee you're going to get a spiritual transfer. And you may just find yourself getting in union with them. Because you can't lay down with dogs and not get fleas. And I don't mean to, to say sound crude, but... Um, I'm sorry. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're too much in unity with any one particular person, it's dangerous. If they're not, if they're not a Christian, particularly, or if they're in blatant sin, yeah. Um, and then it's, he goes on to say, "Read Babylon religion, how a Babylonian goddess became the Virgin Mary." Uh, which is, yeah, I, I, they, they've got a new book on this, uh, Babylonian religion. It's by David Daniels. It's two hundred twenty-four pages. It's only ten ninety-five. You can order it on Chick. Chick. Uh, it's just chick.com. I believe is the website. Learn how a baby, a Babylonian virgin goddess became the mother of Mary. Yeah, 
chick.com. Um, so they've got a book there just dedicated to this. Then it says, um, you will learn the difference between the real Mary and the fake Mary goddess, the Lord Jesus Christ and the fake Jesus God baby. It makes a great deal of difference which one you worship. It's the difference between life and death, heaven and hell, heaven and the lake of fire. Babylonian Religion by David Daniels. I think it would be. Two Babylons is, is considered the classic. But I'll be honest with you, I, I had a hard time reading that book. It, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's written in a very, very old type of, I mean, it was, it's a very old book. I, I had a hard time kind of getting through it. Or, or, it was very easy for me to read that book and just totally lose interest, I guess, because it was so hard to read. Such a hard reading book. Um... And then, th this is another great little article they had. They, the, the two lead articles I was just going to kind of touch on. Uh, the other article in the Battle Cry for January and February. Now, you can go up online and get this. You can, you can go up to this website I just gave and uh, get any of their archived issues. You can download them. I download them and send them out to, to 100 people, you know, so they can benefit from it. Um, a recent issue of a national Christian magazine carried an article about a young man who had who lost faith in the Bible while, I mean, where else, in Bible school. This is where you lose faith in the Bible, in Bible school. Doesn't that make sense? Sure. And how he considers himself to now be a happy agnostic. How did this happen? Well, he began to read the Greek. The problem was he read the wrong Greek. It was the Greek that was the source of, all the, of the modern perversions instead of the other Greek that was used by the translators of the King James Version. As a teen, he, he was led to accept Christ by a Youth for Christ leader. He went on to excel at Moody Bible Institute. There he was taught that we don't have a reliable Bible, though. Because that's what they're teaching in the cemeteries. We don't have a reliable Bible. That was the only New Testament, that the only New Testament with no heirs was the original text or the autographs. He was told that the copies of the copies that we have were now filled with copyist errors, both accidental and intentional. Further study of textual criticism of the Greek only added to his struggle. He says, I kept reverting to my basic question. How does it help us to say that the Bible is, in the, is the inerrant word of God if in fact we don't have the words that God inerrantly inspired? Great point. I mean, how, how can... Hey, Taylor, go ahead and close that a little bit. Um, so, this is where they get ruined. This is where, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, this is their... If you go to a cemetery, and they're laying the foundation, and this is the foundation they're laying, which the vast majority of them do the exact same thing, well, how can you expect that person to turn out any different? And if he comes out of the cemetery and he still wants to be a pastor, what is his motivation going to be? Wow, I'm defender of what? What are you defending anymore? In his mind, I'm defending a corrupted, perverted text. We don't even know if it's the real word of God. Hmm. I don't think that's going to help his backbone any. I don't really think that's going to help his convictions a whole lot. And if he does stay in it, let me ask you a question. Think about this. So he comes out, there's real no inspired inerrant word of God. He gets out. 
Maybe that was his motivation. Maybe he really did want to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, as it says in Jude 2. Maybe he really did want to do that when he first got out. But now, what's the motivation? Well, nothing else, I can make some money. I could be a hireling. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just don't see a whole lot of other options. What, what would be your motivation? To serve or defend what? Defend what faith? The faith you believe in now has been just ruined and destroyed and perverted. I am so glad I didn't go to one of these places. Um, so, yeah, we were just, we were talking a little bit about this whole dynamic that takes place in the uh, in the uh, seminaries of, of, uh, of America and what it does and how they're destroying the faith in the very thing that you would think they would be doing the exact opposite. But, since I believe Satan is, is in control of these institutions, uh, I mean, let's face it, when you have institutions that are turning people out where they don't even, they, there's no foundation upon which they can stand because their interpretation is, is, is of, of the Word of God is whatever they want it to be. Whatever version they choose, whatever Greek they want to fall back on or whatever, isn't that kind of like what happened in the Garden of Eden when when um, Satan came in and, and he says, Yea, hath God said... He basically said to Eve, he didn't really say that. What he really meant was this. He was afraid that the day you ate or the, partook of the good of, of the uh, knowledge of the tree of good or evil, that you would be as gods. And see, when you start messing with the word of God, you're acting in God's stead almost. It's almost like you're trying to. Um, put yourself in God's shoes and say, no, 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 I'm going to decide what the Word of God says, not God. What right do we have to, to make that? Um, but see, that's what these do. So what what that breeds in is pride. Oh, I'm Mr. Cemetery Boy. I've got all my degrees. I've got my big church. Look at this. Look at how God has blessed. Just because you got a big church doesn't mean God's blessed it. You know, you can go to a rock concert and they'll pack them in and they'll have their satanic altar calls or whatever they end up doing. And what because they got a big crowd there, God's going to bless it. He that is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The, the Bible's clear on that. And um, uh, so, you know, you've got a lot of opposite things going on here. And then the, the, what happens is, is they breed a pastor, or whatever you want to call them, a minister that's full of pride, that's very, 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 very weak in doctrine, that... that um, can't stand on the word because they don't even know what the word is and they don't even really believe there is a word, a true word. And then they get into their 501c3 corporations and they are corporations and the pastor is the CEO and the board of directors are the deacons. I mean, that's the way that the, the corporate charter is set up. I'm sorry. That's the way it goes. And the colleges, are mo what's their motivation? Well, if their motivation was to truly turn out people that were real men of God, they would have to be based on the Word of God. And that's not happening. No, I'm, I'm fine. They're, they're not basing things off the Word of God. So, if they're not basing things off the Word of God, how are they going to turn out men of God? Um, you can't. You can't turn out a man of God if you're not basing his education on the Word of God. So, what's their motivation? Well, money. Love of money is the root of all evil. 
That's why this is happening. And then the pastors get into their corporations, and the college of corporations, and, and well, we're not for profit, whatever, please. <laughs> you can slap whatever label on, whatever you want to make. That, 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 that's immaterial. And then they, they perpetuate what they do. So, this is what, this is where it all starts though, right here, is with the Bible issues. Um, this man goes on to say, he says, I kept reverting to my basic question. How does it help us to say that the Bible is the, is the inerrant word of God, if in fact we don't have the words that God inerrantly inspired? Exactly. Finally, he gave up on the whole thing and became what he now describes as a happy agnostic. Quote, happy agnostic. He now explains his understanding of life after death. Now, this is this guy, this guy that went to Bible college, okay? He says, now he thinks, I think you just cease to exist, like the mosquito that just you swatted yesterday. End of quote. So that really helped him out there. You know, their, their, the old Bible school college really helped him out. This is exactly the dilemma that author David Daniel speaks of in his book, Did the Catholic Church Give Us the Bible? That's another book that Chick has out now. Same author as the guy that wrote the, uh, the one I just quoted on the uh, Babylonian religion, David Daniels. He points out that there are two Bibles originating from two streams of Greek manuscripts. One of these streams is polluted with the copying errors that tripped up our happy agnostic. He was only told about one of these Bible streams. And when he dug into the Greek manuscripts behind that Bible, that perverted Bible, he found so much pollution that it destroyed his faith. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Well, those, those false Bibles are totally leavened. I mean, they're, they're totally leavened. And I'm not even going to get into all the, I've gotten into that many times on where we get those from, but, you know, if you have any doubts, you know, this is a great book to, to read. Gail Ripplinger's New Age Bible Versions is, is probably the, the, uh, the best one, I believe. And, and he says, a hundred years from now, he will realize that he has not ceased to exist. It's a good point. But has been the victim of one of Satan's most clever and dangerous deceptions. See, this is Satan doing this. We can say, you know, I, I'm sure there'll be pastors that end up hearing this, this recording or whatever, maybe, and they get all offended. Oh, I went to Bible college. It wasn't like, okay, fine, whatever. But, you know something, this is how Satan does stuff. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. So, see, this is how Satan works it. This is a spiritual battle. Satan was the one that inspired these things. Now, I'm not saying that there's, that there's not been people that have went to Bible colleges in times past and not come out and aren't men of God. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about where has this all been moving? Have we been getting... Better and better and better. We've been as as have we have as a nation as and even as a nation of the pastors that are here. Are they getting stronger in the Lord? Are they getting more based on the true work? No, it's going the opposite direction. So there's obviously a gigantic problem. The leaven has almost totally permeated the whole lump, as the Bible says. Because why why is that? Well, because the leaven hasn't been purged. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Purge ye out the old leaven, that the whole lump be made new. So that's why this hasn't happened. Um, believers are totally in the dark over this issue, says Daniels. Because the truth has been clouded over, he points out that faithful copies were made of the original texts, and that they are totally accurate and reliable. 
Moses even had to work with a copy of the Ten Commandments because he broke the originals. Jesus and Paul and the other apostles obviously relied on the Old Testament copies in their preaching and writing. When the Hebrew scribes copied the Old Testament, they were so careful that even today there's little question as to their accuracy. Um, in the same way, the other streams of Greek and Latin and German and English manuscripts were just as carefully cop copied and translated. Ultimately, they were used to prepare the King James Version. Our happy agnostic, had our happy agnostic been told of this other Greek, he might have kept his faith and not be in for such a surprise on Judgment Day. Um, God did preserve his words for us today. Author Daniels proves that we can rely on the KJV as a faithful, true copy of what the original manuscripts were, and how sad that our happy agnostic was not told that there was a Bible that he could fully trust the King James Bible, God's preserved words. Now, the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts 16.31 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14.6 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Okay? For you're saved by grace through faith. Okay. So, now I'm, I'm, I'm making this real real here. I'm, I'm quoting some scriptures to lay this groundwork. So, for you're saved by grace, what? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.11. Okay, so we have these verses in, in our heads now. It says you're saved by grace through faith. You're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's John 1. Okay, so we've got all these verses now. Jesus was the Word. He was basically the incarnate Word when He came here on earth. Okay? But in the beginning was the Word. Now, if we're saved by faith, what do we have to have faith in? The Word of God. If the word's perverted, how do we have faith? How does that... Do you understand how when you don't have the right Bible, it's a very low likelihood you're going to truly get converted and saved if you don't have the right Bible to hear the right words? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That's the verse that just ties it all together. How, if you're not hearing the word of God, are you going to appropriate the faith to get saved? This is Satan's ultimate plan. How can you... You have to have the hearing of the word of God to get the faith in order to get saved. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. I believe that's Hebrews 11 verse 1. Um... So, these are all the things that, that, that go along with faith. Wherefore, brethren, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand the, the wiles of the devil. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having your loins girt about with truth, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, putting on the helmet of salvation, taking up the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hmm. Faith and the sword of the Spirit. They're right here next to one another. They have to be. And the 
bigger your faith is, the bigger your shield is. Think about that. I mean, let's face it, if your faith's bigger, isn't your shield going to be bigger? What does your shield do? It protects you against the wiles of the devil. Faith is a prerequisite. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And it all hinges on the word of God. So that's, it, it's all so important what Bible you're reading. It's not just some little thing that, that we can take or leave. It's absolutely your whole being, your whole eternal salvation hinges on faith. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I, I forget. Let's, let, me, let me just check that verse real quick. Romans 10, 9. I always get that one messed up a little bit, usually when I try to quote it. <clears throat> thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, how do you believe? If you believe in the, your heart, what is that? That is faith. The only way you can believe in your heart is if you have faith to do that. And if you really confess it with your mouth, you're going to believe it. That's faith. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Okay, hold on. I skipped the, the other verse. Verse 10. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the heart is where we have to have that faith. Now, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28-26. So, um, you got to be careful. I mean, you better, be, you better make sure your faith is grounded in the right thing. But, do you see how that all ties back together with the Word of God? That's why I'm so big on memorizing scripture. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Um, Psalm 119 verse 9. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Or actually it says against thee. But in that, in that, in that um, context, it's, God is implied. Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Psalm 119, 105, I believe. So, these are all things the words do, the, the, the words of the Lord's do. Now, if you don't have the word of the Lord, how can it be a lamp under your feet and a light under your path? How can you cleanse your way? Because what words are you taking heed thereto? Are you taking heed thereto according to the uh, Vaticanus and the Synaticus underlying Greek text of the Westcott and Hort 1881 revised version edition, upon which all of these other false versions have spawned themselves? Is that where you're basing your foundation off? It's what most people are doing. If they're even reading the Bible at all, that, you know. So anyway, the Bible also, Jesus also said another thing. He said, he said that, that, um, he made reference to that. What's going to judge us in, in the end times is the word. This word is actually going to be our judge. Well, don't you think if this word is actually going to be our judge, that you'd want to know what it says? How can you know that when the NIV removes 64,098 of those words? 
64,098 words to be exact, which is almost 10% of the total text, has been removed from the NIV in comparison to the KJV. Well, that's a lot of word that's been removed. Whole verses have been taken out. Well, you, can you imagine how many people are going to be maybe at the, at the uh, Great White Throne Judgment and they're going to hear the word judge them and they're going to say, I never heard that. Well, it wasn't even in your Bible. If you were even reading it, it wasn't in the one you had. They took it out. Or it sounds different. That doesn't... Well, you had the wrong word. You were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Biblical knowledge, in this case, there's, there's ways you can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ultimately, that's the worst way to be destroyed. Because ultimately, that's the lake of fire you're dealing with there. So, that's um, um, a little uh, excerpt on that. Where are we at here? Time. Is that the right time? Oh, okay. We're going to expound on this just a little bit more. Uh, I've been wanting to speak on this portion of Scripture for a long time. Um, I don't think I've ever done this one before, but it's in Jeremiah 8. And um, it's kind of a rebuke of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay, But there's a lot of parallels to the day and time we're living in right now. In Jeremiah 8. Um, I'm just going to start at verse 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? Okay, And he's asking, the, the Lord's asking this question of the people of Jerusalem. They're in a perpetual backsliding, which is really the... Uh, the state of the, the modern day church today. At the time, at the time this was written, according to Schofield here, 600 BC, that was his people, you know. Okay, but now it's it's not that way. Um, they hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. See, they hold fast deceit. They want to be in error. They want to be deceived because it's easier. It's it's easier on the flesh. It's easier. It's 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 easier to. to it's not going to be easier after it's over. That's for sure. Or the end of that is not going to be easier. But at the time, it's easier. Sin is pleasurable for a season. So they're going to hold fast this deceit. Um. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness. See, that's the thing about sin. Is is for God. God's looking at things and he says, I didn't see anybody, that, I may, there may have been men that honored me with their lips, but did anybody actually really repent? That was what God was really looking at as, as the precursor to a true heart change. And it says, no man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rusheth into battle. Well, let's just look at this again. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, why, why didn't he repent? In other words, well, why? Here's why. Because they said, what have I done? What did I do? I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. What did I do? How, how, how many times have you heard that in today's modern day and age? People, people that are in total gross sin, yet they won't even acknowledge it to anybody. What have I done? What did I do? I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. And then what they'll typically do is turn the spotlight back on you and turn you into the bad guy. That's the pot calling the kettle black. That's how those people typically operate. What have I done? 
Now, this is the fruit of obeying false doctrine. What we're seeing here. Or a perverted word of God is, is another way of, of looking at it. Or a perverted, perverted uh, whatever, philosophy. This is the fruit of obeying false doctrine. Perpetual backsliding. Holding fast deceit. Refusing to return to the Lord. When God hearkens to them, but they, they, but they don't speak to God aright. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So don't expect God to hear your prayers if you're, if you're living in totally gross sin and, and, and you have no desire to repent. And then it says, no man repented of his wickedness. This is the fruit of, of obeying false doctrine. And then, they, and then they get to the point where they don't even acknowledge their sin at all. What have I done? I didn't sin. No, God, you must be mistaken. That, well, that's having your conscience seared with a hot iron, which is what the Bible warns about in 1 Timothy 1. That in, this, in the latter times, the Spirit speaketh expressly, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, when you say, what have I done... That's having your conscience seared with a hot iron. Reminds me of you-know-who. A lot of these people you can't peg down. You'll, you'll, you'll accuse them of things they've obviously done, and they it's, it's like it's, it talks about of the whore in, in, in Proverbs, where it says she wipes her mouth. It says, what have I done? She, she's, eating, she's eating, you know, bread that's stolen, essentially. She wipes her mouth and says, what have I done? That's exactly what's happening here. I've heard this so many times. What have I done? They don't want to take responsibility for anything. But you know something? If you don't take responsibility, responsibility for your sin now in this life, you'll be forced to in the next. You'll be forced to pay that price in the next. In hell. And it'll be a price that you, that you can't bear to pay. Taylor, what are you doing? Okay, stop it. So, and then it says, everyone turn to his course as a horse rusheth into battle. Well, that was like in the days of Judges. Every day, every man in the days of Judges did what was right in his own eyes. Well, that's just basically basing your life on your opinion. Well, I, I think this, I think that. Existentialism. Your life is based on your experiences, and that's how you kind of believe that things go in, in whatever you believe. Well, I don't believe God would do that and this and that. Okay. Well, that's fine, but that philosophy is going to take you straight to the pit of hell. Okay. Bottom line. That's what's going to happen. And then seven, verse 7, it says, Yea, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times. Now, this is when she delivers the baby. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. That's the problem. Her people, which is exactly the way it is today. My people knoweth not the judgment of the Lord. That's exactly the day and time we're totally living in right now. And notice he said, my people. Not the devil's people. His people. Um, and that's, that's with, with a lot of these people that are, that are caught up in the uh, bringing in the kingdom 
And everything's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder. We're going to bring in the kingdom, and, and we're going to usurp what even Jesus needs to do. We're going to just bring this nice millennium in. And there's really not going to be an Antichrist, this type of things. Well, he's basically making an indictment on his people, saying the birds that I made, which are far lower in mental capacity than a human that I made in my image, know their appointed times. Okay? But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. They can't see the judgment of the Lord coming. That's why I guess I'm, I'm, I'm one of the reasons that I'm so apprehensive about this country, because the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And if there's ever a nation ripe for judgment, this is the one. And it's coming. It has to. I mean, God's not going to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he would have to if he didn't judge this nation in a very severe way. Okay, so I, we know this is coming. The earmarks are all there. But his people, supposedly the ones that call them Christians, they don't know this judgment's coming. They don't believe it's coming. Well, partly because they don't want to believe it, partly because their pastors have been ruined in the cemeteries and are hirelings and are basically not warning them of these things. Now, I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying for the majority, okay? Um, and this is more false fruit of following false doctrine. You don't believe in the judgment of the Lord. You just believe God's this all-loving God. Oh, he'd never do that. It's more, it's more fruit or evidence of following your own heart, following deceit, following a man. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, who maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So, you, you shouldn't do that. Um, but it's very, very, very common to in today's day and age, when you got Benny Hinn up on TV and all these TV evangelists, most of the time those guys aren't preaching the eminent judgment of God. They're, they're preaching, oh, send in your money, and we send you a, a green prayer handkerchief, and everything's going to be great, and you're going to make lots of money. And They're doing it on all these networks now. It's all centered around money. I can't even hardly stand listening to any of them anymore. It's always, it's always about money. It always ends up boiling down to that. And, well, we've got a good excuse. We've got to keep our ministry on the air. How are we going to pay for this airtime, Lisa, if we don't get your money? They've always got a good-sounding excuse. What? Um, I, was, I was, like, changing the channels and stuff. And yeah, we're, we're just more, more discussion on this whole perversion and how it all ties in with the church. I guess what I try to do with these, with these messages that we have week after week is tie this all together for us to see the big picture and to see it obviously. Not to see it like, wow, you know, I, I kind of can grasp this concept. No, I want you to understand it in totality. I want you to understand it so obvious and clear that it would be easy for you to go out and, um, or, or when, when I finally get these things online, you could just even direct them to one of these sermons. Now, how long I'm going to last on sermonaudio.com, I don't know. Um, I might say some things that maybe they don't approve of, or the other pastors on there approve of, and that's fine. If I, if I get kicked off there, that's, that's you know, I'm, it's not my goal, but um, the Lord will open another door if he wants these messages up on the internet, or out. Um, then verse 8 says, How do you say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. Now, before I get to that part, he, God's asking this people, this backslidden people, his, his, his children, his people in Jerusalem, he says, how do you say you're wise? 
and the law of the Lord is with you. See, they are so delusional, they believe that. They believe that we're wise. Um, here, right here, in verse uh, Jeremiah 7, the, the previous chapter. It says, And come and stand before me in this house, in the house of the Lord, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. That's what the modern day church is. When you go into the typical church on every Sunday morning, the people are in there saying, we are delivered to do these abominations. We're delivered to have our Christian rock bands. We're delivered to have our 501c3 corporate status. We're delivered to have our pastor who's basically motivated by money, who's a hireling. We're delivered to have a man like that in, in the pulpit. You deserve to have a man like that in the pulpit if you're there, if you're supporting him. Um... You know, if, if you haven't gotten in your Bible and understood these things. But they get so bad that they actually believe they're delivered to do these things. That's how delusional they end up getting. And that's why it says, how do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Well, we're Christians. We're, we're, we're the people of God. Well, you know, by the fruit you shall know them. Um... If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to do the thing. And, and the thing is, is, is if people would really look at that a lot closer, they would realize that most people don't really want to follow Jesus Christ. They want to follow whatever their pastor's conception of that is, or they want to follow, follow whatever the perverted Bible they're reading says, or some watered-down gospel. But God's making more indictments. And then it says, Lo, certainly, in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? I believe what this is in reference to here is they may have made their own false doctrine, essentially. Now, Jesus did, when, when he came in, when he... Uh, came in and, and uh, rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, one of the things he rebuked them on is they had added so much to the word of the Lord. Okay, They had made all these new doctrine, all these new laws to keep and all these other things. Well, it says, Lo, certainly... It says, How do we say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly, in vain made he it. Now, who made it? The pen of the scribes is in vain. In other words, you, you could, if it just stopped there, you'd say, what is that in reference to? Maybe it. But then it says, the pen of the scribes is in vain. The scribes were the one that okay, wrote. Okay. They made, I believe, were making false doctrine to observe and, and adhere to. Um, and then it says, the wise men are ashamed and they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So when you have a man-made doctrine come, that comes in, and you choose to embrace that man-made doctrine, what are you automatically doing? You're automatically, by default, rejecting the word of the Lord. You can't have it both ways. You've got to have one or the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. How can a fountain yield both fresh and salt water? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, if you, I had to look at this a long time to, get, to really understand in totality, what it was in reference to. And it says, so, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? And what I believe 
when you, this is in reference to the day and time we're living in, which just history repeats itself, okay, like Ecclesiastes talks about. When you use a perverted Bible in today's day and age, isn't that the same thing? Most certainly in vain made he it. Who made it? Well, originally, it was the Alexandrian Egyptian text of Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt, which the Catholic Church preserved in two perverted streams, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. Vaticanus, because it was actually in the Vatican where it was found, and the Sinaiticus was found in a trash can at the base of Mount Sinai in a monastery. Well, Westcott and Hort said, well, these are the perfect things to translate a Bible from. Let's go take them. And they contradicted each other in so many places. You know what the, the, the criteria they finally picked for when they contradicted each other. They said, well, wherever they contradict each other, we'll just choose the Vaticanus. Because the Vatican's higher Mount Sinai, evidently. That's how they, that was their, their, their way that they... And so then, in 1881, these two occultists, these two basic devil worshippers, Westcott and Hort, if you don't believe me, read, read Gail Rippinger's New Age Bible version. It's very, very well documented. They made the revised version. The perverted va- version. Lo, certainly, in vain, made he it. Made he it. Who made it? Alexandrian? To the Vatican Sinaiticus? To the Westcott and Hort revised version of 1881? To which spawned all of our modern day false, false perversion? In vain they made that Bible. The pen of the scribes is in vain. See, that's why I'm trying to bring this back to the day and time we're living in. Because this is more prevalent now than it probably even was then. I guarantee you, when this was made, they didn't have 200 different versions. They probably had one bad version. But they didn't have 200 flavors to pick from, like we do today. It's worse now, is what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Well, that's another byproduct or fruit of rejecting the word of the Lord. Your wise men will become ashamed. They are dismayed. They're taken. They've rejected the word of the Lord. They probably, a lot of these people probably didn't do it. I mean, I know when I was reading the NIV originally, when I was originally given a living Bible, that basically like cusses that Bible. I mean, there's stuff in there that's just unbelievable. And then, and then I was given an NIV, or I bought one, I don't know. Um, I didn't know at the time what I was doing, and, and I, I didn't think there was, you know, obviously that's all I knew. I didn't know any better. Well, they rejected the word of the Lord. I was too. I wasn't doing it arrogantly, or will, and God ultimately led me to the King James, okay? But he, he led me through this so I would know what that's like, you know, to kind of understand that. Um, but then it says, what wisdom is in them? So when you don't read the right Bible, what true, what true wisdom is really in you? When you, when, it's, what does this all hinge on here? If you look at this whole, this whole portion of scripture, it all hinges on, the problem is, is ultimately they've rejected the word of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 9. So therefore, what wisdom can really be in them? What wisdom can really be in them if you've done that? Therefore I have given their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. 
For every one from the least, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. This is another fruit or byproduct of, of rejecting the word of the Lord. When you reject the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, which is what we will be judged by, will ultimately reject you. Absolutely. Yeah, they will give their wives another. I will give their wives another's. And their fields to them that shall inherit them. Now this is this is what you should look forward to now if you're embracing Oh now now, now I'm really going out on, on the edge here. Now I'm oh just because I'm reading a false Bible version doesn't mean that my wife's gonna go, Well, I am sorry, but you know, this is what I think most of the pseudo Laodicean lukewarm Christians in America have to look forward to. This right here. Therefore I will give their wives unto others. And their fields unto them that shall inherit them. So, be prepared to lose your wives, your land, from everyone, from the least, even unto the greatest. Even a Benny Hinn is given to covetousness. Oh, we know he's given to covetousness. Well, how could that be? I mean, you know, just because Benny Hinn's a devil coveting, doesn't mean I have to be. If you're under his ministry, and he's the head of that ministry, and if the head is sick, how can the body not be sick? And if you volunteered into that body, which if you're giving him donations, if you're, if you're supporting that ministry, aren't you basically yoking up with him? You are. I'm sorry. That's the way God sees it. Well, I don't really feel that way. It doesn't matter. You don't understand what's going on from a spiritual dynamic when you send money into false ministries. You think God's happy with that? He's not happy with you blowing your money on that? Give it to widows and orphans or, or, or some good cause, something that you can't go wrong with. You know, of course, that's hard to find, too. Now, that's one of the hard things to do. Now, Chick, Chick has a couple ministries. They have a prison track fund ministry that they've got. And they've also got a, uh, a missionary ministry where the missionaries, they get the missionaries, the tracks, and they put them out. So those, I think those are two pretty much can't go wrong Ministries, of course, I don't know about the missionaries putting the tracks out. They better be preaching the gospel. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that they're right down the line with that. But you, there's, there's no guarantees there. But um, Chick's, Chick is very, very, very King James only oriented. So I think you would be pretty safe there. Um, so it says, for everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given a covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Everyone, it says, the least to the greatest. They're all covetousness. They're all about money. They're hirelings. Okay? When you covet, it's, it's just a matter of time before you become a hireling. Because you're coveting the money and the goods. From the prophet, even under the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Well, that's the Catholic Church, the charismatic movement, you know. I'm sorry, but, but most of those people, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many supposed words of knowledge that I've gotten from Pentecostals and how so very few of them have ever, ever, ever come to pass. Now, if they're hearing from God, why aren't they nailing it 100% of the time, which according to Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, is the way it should be. You should be nailing it 100% of the time if you call yourself a prophet of God. Well, I don't believe that. I think 50% will do. Well, who cares what you believe? If you're a true prophet of God, I don't see... 
Jesus getting it wrong too many times to you, Lisa? I don't see him getting it wrong too many times. I don't see Elijah getting it wrong or men in the, men in the New Testament that the Bible talks about where they, where they would basically prophesy or whatever. I don't see them ever getting it wrong. I don't see them doing miracles and the miracle lasts for a day and then it's gone. Like happens so many times in modern day circles. Um, so, you know, be careful. Then it goes on to say, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Well, isn't that the feel-good gospel we're all getting shoved down our throat in America? Oh, yes, it's going to get better and better. All this gory stuff that, that Brother Johnson's preaching on, and all this hardcore, he's just a freak. He's an aberrant of religion. A religious aberrance. I don't know. Yeah. I know. Um, but, you know, as I've said before, my, my life is not a popularity contest. I got into this with my mom last night again. You know, she's, she's like, we got in this discussion. To me, it was a very black and white issue, and it was a biblical issue. And, and But she doesn't see it that way, because she's in the world. She's like, listen to yourself. Listen. She says, you're, you're just, you know, I, I said, Mom, I said, you know something? I really don't care what anybody thinks of me. My life is not a popularity contest. And it's, it's just as appalling to me that you can't see how wrong this thing is. Um, I don't even want to get, get into the issue uh, of what it was, but it's some, something they're, they're doing they shouldn't be doing. And, and, you know, I am looked on as, like, you, you're so, you're so, you know, she accused me of being sanctimonious. I'm like, Mom, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. This has nothing to do with that. You, you just want to draw that in to try to defend your own viewpoint. This has nothing to do with me being sanctimonious. This is just right or wrong. Call it whatever you want to call it. comes around... If you want to call it what comes around, goes around. I call it what do unto others as you'd have done unto yourself. You know. So, I, you know, it's very, very hard to deal with, with that. Uh, you really need to pray before you do that. Yeah. I'll go ahead and start back on this. Um, so it says that, um, <clears throat> uh, verse 11, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed at all. Neither could they blush. So this is another earmark. We were just talking about this. Um, this is another earmark of a person that is rejecting the word of the Lord, ultimately. Okay? They don't get ashamed when they commit abomination. Maybe they're a little ashamed at the beginning, but the more they do it, the less ashamed they get. Whereas if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, if you're sinning, you're going to get convicted of that issue, typically. Or you have to. I mean, the Holy Spirit can't live inside you and not convict you of these things. It says, nay, they were not ashamed. They were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall cast down, saith the Lord. So ultimately, these people are going to be, are going to fall, and they're going to fall in a big way. I will surely consume them, 
saith the Lord, there shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. This is how God deals with especially his people that are backslidden. He takes everything away from them. Okay? If they're, if they're in sin and they want to stay in the sin. <clears throat> Verse 14, Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defense cities and let us be silent there, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We look for peace, but... But no good came, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. That's where we're going in America. That's where the, the Laodicean lukewarm church of America is. That's, this is going to be their reality very soon. Verse 16. The snorting of the horses was heard from Dan. Oh me. Didn't we just talk about Dan last week? About how Dan ended up settling in the mountains of Hermon, and all these things? The whole land trembleth at the sound of the name of the strong of his strong ones. Sounds like Dan may end up the tribe of the lost tribe of Dan in a way may be end up being used as a judgment tool by the Lord. For they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it. See, the, the tribe of Dan at this point isn't even being referenced to that they're one of God's children. They're actually almost he's talking about Dan like you would any pagan nation at this point. Okay, this is what God has used many, many times pagan nations to judge Israel. Okay, it's happened many times. They, them, they themselves were typically pagan at that point as well, or God wouldn't have had to judge them. So, um, they have devoured the land and all that is in it, <clears throat> the city and those that dwell therein. It says they devoured, boy, it's pretty bad. They're killing everybody. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed. And they shall bite you, saith the Lord. I'm just going to go back real quick. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back real quick into Genesis and just reaffirm this verse. Okay, verse 16, Genesis 49 says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and an adder in the path. An adder is another form of name of serpent. That biteth the horse's heels, so that the rider falleth backwards. Let's go back to Jeremiah 8. Um, this is talking about Dan. The story of the horses was heard from Dan. The whole tre land trembleth at the... At the Sound of the name of his strong ones. Verse 17, For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices, which is another word for a serpent, among you, which will not be charmed, they shall bite you, saith the Lord. Well, it says right here, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and an adder in the path. In, in Genesis. So this is just another confirmation that it sounds as though Dan is going to be used as a tool of judgment for the Lord. But they're not, they're not even included in the, in the 12 tribes of Revelation that it talks about the, the 12 tribes that are sealed. They're not even included. So Dan falls so far away that um, 
they're actually used like a pagan nation that would that would really be uh, that, that's how God's going to use them. Um, anyway, that was just I wanted to kind of just touch on that. Um, what time are we looking at here? Okay, um, I'm going to just go through quickly the uh, the uh, last trumpet newsletter for this last one for February. Um, uh, let's see. Lamentations 1, 1 through 2 says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces, how she has become a tributary. She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they have become her enemies. This is what's going to happen to America, I believe, very, very soon. Um, Isaiah 5, 5-6, through 6, and 13-14 through 14 says, And now go to, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. This is God speaking. I will take away the hedge thereof. Now, a hedge is something that protects a vineyard. Okay, so this is what he's going to be doing to his vineyard. Okay. I will take the hedge thereof, and it shall not be, and it shall be eaten up, and break it down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Now, this is very reminiscent of what we just read in Jeremiah. Okay, this is what's coming. Okay, particularly to America, I believe. Because we're at such a high accountability level, because we do have access to the truth. I mean, ultimately, yeah, we can say this and this about excuses and this and this, but ultimately we still do have access to the truth, and if we really want the truth, I believe God will lead you to the truth. He's not just going to keep you in deception. It says, And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Therefore my people are gone into captivity. Now it's now he's making this much more personal. It's my people. At first he was saying my vineyard. Well now he's saying basically no, this is my people I'm in reference to. Are gone into captivity. Because they have what? No knowledge. That's what it says. It says they have no knowledge. They have no true knowledge. My, pe- my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And thou shalt be a priest to me no more. Hosea 4, 6 and 7. So... Because you reject knowledge, you're not going to be a priest to God no more. And then it says, and I will not, I'll not only reject thee, but I'll also reject thy children. So, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are, and their honorable men are famished. Well, this is a lot like that verse we just read. And their multitude dried up, dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. Now, it's talking about his people. Now, I don't believe, maybe these are people that maybe call themselves Christians, but are not. Um, If you're a truly born-again, saved Christian, I don't believe you're on your way to hell. But it says here, therefore hell hath enlarged yourself. I believe these are people that were basically playing church, you know. Hell hath enlarged yourself. Why would hell have to enlarge yourself? Well, to accommodate... More people. This is one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's why there's more and more volcanic eruptions taking place to actually, hell is enlarging herself. He's enlarging her space. Because you think about it, lava coming out of the ground from, you know, who knows how far down it came. Well, that's, it's got to be making room somewhere in the earth for the lava to come out. That's a fun thought. 
you know, how about the larger stuff and open her mouth without measure? So, this is very reminiscent of what we just read in Jeremiah. Um, Acts 2.19-21 through 21 says, And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But again, this great and notable day of the Lord, when all this stuff is going to happen, most Christians don't want to deal with that or talk about that. I, again, I, I got into a uh, conversation this week with a guy, and uh, he's... Um, Messianic type of Pentecostal person, and um, he told me how he asked my opinion on this group of Messianic Jews and Christians that are out there that are actively trying to get the temple rebuilt. And I told him, I said, well, obviously that has to happen in order for revelation to be fulfilled. In order for the Antichrist to commit the abomination of desolation, which takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation, where he goes into the Holy of Holies and proclaims himself to be God, in order for that to happen, a temple has to be built. Has to be. Okay. Now, I realize that's going to happen. And then it says he shall cause the sacrifices to cease. So what does that also imply? That means that the sacrificial system, they're going to rebuild the temple and reinstitute the sacrificial system. Now, am I happy that that's going to happen? No. I mean, that's an abomination in the sight of God. I mean, but it's... It has to happen because the Bible says it's going to happen. Now, does that mean I'm going to I'm going to give um, all my money to the uh, Antichrist Temple Rebuilding Fund? I don't think I'm going to give a dime. But this man was telling me how he's got a guy that comes to his church once a year, and he's like one of the main main guys in charge of getting the temple rebuilt. And he said, this summer we're going to go there with like 2,000 or well many Christians on the Temple Mount and Messianic Jews and we're going to proclaim and we're going to dedicate this temple that's going to be rebuilt to Jesus Christ. How do you dedicate something that's been done away with that would be an abomination in God's eyes? How do you dedicate that to Jesus Christ? Because you know what they're going to do they're going to have, they've already got the spotless red heifer. They've already got it. It's already there. Okay? That red heifer doesn't have one, two hairs growing out of any one follicle. They have expected the whole thing. Okay? That's, 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 that would be considered a um, biblical, Old Testament clean offering. Okay? They've already got it. They've pretty much got all the implements ready. Okay, so... Granted, the temple's not even started being rebuilt. They're going to have to take care of the Dome of the Rock first. As a Christian, knowing that the temple would be rebuilt, would that excite me any? Well, from the standpoint of fulfilling Scripture, yes. It just confirms what the Bible says. But I'm not happy of the fact that they're reinstituting the temple sacrifice because Jesus Christ is a better is a better sacrifice. He, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. All this old time Levitical system has been done away with. Any more, anything that you would do more now is an abomination in the sight of God. You sacrifice an animal, that's like basically saying, well, the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't enough to atone for my sins. We're going to go back and do goats and lambs and rams and whatever. We're going to have to go back to that system because Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, was not sufficient. You realize every time you do a sacrifice in, in this new temple, that's what you're saying. 
So I don't want any part of that. And how could you go over there and dedicate that to Jesus Christ? How does that work? You can do that and feel good all day long and justify that and think that that's of God, but God's not within 10,000 miles of that. That is not of God. That is an abomination in the sight of God. Any Christian that would even be thinking about dabbling with something like that needs to really repent. That is, that is, that is, um, that's man-made religion. At this point. At one time it was ordained by God, but it's not anymore. Again, this is the whole Messianic Judaism movement trying to bring pseudo-Christianity into bondage. And, you know something? I figure that's going to be a really good way to get yoked up with the Antichrist. Because who else wants to see that temple rebuilt? Well, we know the Masons really want to see it be rebuilt. We were just talking about that. We know they do. We know the Kabbalist Jews really want to see that temple be rebuilt. I guarantee you the Pope does. Okay, but who really, really wants to see it rebuilt? The Antichrist. Because so he can end up committing the abomination of desolation. Now, I know all that's going to happen, and, and there's a certain amount of excitement, but I, I, I'm not excited from the fact that anybody who would call themselves a Christian would give money toward that. I mean, at least the Jews are blind. The blindness in part has happened to the Jew to the fullness of the Gentile come in. I mean, granted, that doesn't give them a get-out-of-jail-free card pass, but at least, I mean, I just feel like of all people to be without excuse, it would be a Christian that would give money towards something like that. And that's what he was asking me. He says, I'm going to send you this tape on this guy. And I said, yeah, send it to me. I want to see it. I want to see what this, this is. And I'm going to give him a gigantic rebuttal. And I'll probably never hear from him again. You know? And, you know, he called me. He says, I know, I, I baptized this millionaire in Wyoming. And he, and I sent him your tape. And I think he's really going to want to fly down here and meet you and all this other stuff. And I'm like, he's probably not after we have this next exchange. But I don't think in those types of terms. I don't think of, oh, I'm going to lose money. I don't, I don't think in those types of terms. It doesn't matter to me. That's, that shouldn't be our motivation. And I'm not saying it's even his motivation. But um, And then he went on to tell me, he says, you know, he, he was talking so fast, you couldn't even get a word in edgewise. Um, he, he went on to tell me that, because um, I send my, my emails to his wife, and... Uh, uh, cautioning me in a very nice way, did it in a very nice humble way, I will say that, but cautioning me about speaking out against any other ministries, that I really have to be led of God to do that. And I'm like, I, I, I thought to myself, I am led of God. Absolutely. The Bible says clearly, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine, which you have learned and avoid them, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I'm marking these people. I'm marking if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. We're supposed to mark those devils. We are. Oh, give me an example of that. Well, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his work. Is Paul a good enough witness? He also said, um, uh, Demas and Hymaeus have forsaken me for this present day world. There's two more people he marked. He also said the Christians are always slow-bellied. And they're evil deceivers. Rebuke them sharply that they may be found sound in the faith. There's a fourth rebuke from Paul. How many people did Jesus Christ rebuke? 
Pharisees and Sadducees. Who were they? The religious. Well, that's who I end up rebuking. I feel like I'm in pretty good company. Not to say that I think I'm better, or I'm wonderful, or I am so sanctimonious, and I have this right to rebuke these people. I'm just saying, if I was doing what they were doing, then I would need to be rebuked too. Rebuke me! The Bible says a wise man will receive a rebuke and love you for it. But a scorner will hate you for it, and you will get a block if you rebuke a scorner. Well, I've probably gotten a lot of blocks in a lot of circles because I've rebuked scorners. Oh, well, my life's not a popularity contest. So, and, and, and neither was, I mean, look at Jesus Christ. Everybody had forsaken him. Every single, basically, every single person, when he died, had forsaken him. Um, so, anyway, uh, that, that, I had that little deal this week. Um, <laughs> and this issue of Last Trumpet Newsletter, um, I'm just going to kind of go through through this. Um, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, let's see here. The, the beast that is rising up now before our eyes is a mixture of the previous beast or empires. Revelation 13, 1-2 tells us the beast we are now seeing as follows. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw the beast rise out of the sea, having heaven, seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And again, this is Last Trumpet Newsletter, um, Pastor Mayer, and it's lasttrumpetministries.org. You can go up there and read his newsletters if you like. They're very good. Um, I stood upon the the same of the sea, and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon the heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and the feet were like unto the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, and his seat and great authority. From the above description, we can see that the seventh and final world empire is the most unusual and grotesque of all. I hadn't really thought about it this way. It is a sort of Frankenstein-like monster, and it really is whose very essence is blasphemy. When we consider the United States of America, we can see that we have a nation that is made up of many nations. American English is composed as a composite of many languages and the languages of science, law, and academia being Latin and Greek. America has the architecture of the ancient empires for its capital buildings, along with the symbol of Egypt, Greece, and Rome. Even church buildings and cathedrals contain these pagan symbols. Absolutely. Just look at a church steeple. If you want to know what that represents, send me an email at drjohnson at ix.netcom.com and I'll send you my article on church steeples. This is a nation given over to vice, perversion, drunkenness, and gluttony, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the very conditions that existed in ancient Roman Empire now fill our spiritually deranged society like a pervasive and prevailing dark cloud blown everywhere by the night winds of hell. As you read the remainder of this newsletter, you will see this very clearly. You will also see that there is a self-destructing mechanism in Satan's blueprint for takeover. Much like a computer virus that destroys its own host. Judgment is soon to come. Every human being, including you, will spend eternity somewhere. The good news is you can surrender your heart and mind to the Lord Jesus and all will be well. If you are reading this, there is still time, but not much. Um, the Chicago Tribune reported a flying saucer-like object hovered over O'Hare... International Airport for several minutes before bolting through the thick clouds with such an intense energy that it left an eerie hole in the overcast skies. The employees that saw it were angered that it is being dismissed as nothing without any kind of investigation. Now this was on November 7, 2006. 
Um, a do more than a dozen United Airlines employees clearly witnessed a flying saucer over O'Hare Airport. Chicago Tribune reported this. But yet they don't, they just, see, this is the conditioning. Okay? This is the thing that all oh, we as Christians, we can't even give any credence to this at all. I never hear anybody talk about this. But we do a lot here. Because I want the people here and the people that will potentially be listening to these uh, audio broadcasts, I want them to be prepared for the time to come. I mean, if you have a battle that you're going into, isn't it wise to prepare for it? You know, that's all we're doing. Um, those who are watching and praying have, and have discernment are seeing some amazing things in these last days. As the year 2006 and the two former world leaders lay dead, one in the ancient land of Babylon and the other in the capital of the modern Babylon, Washington, D.C. Um, one of these two leaders, former President Joe Ford, was given a Masonic funeral on Friday, February, on Friday, December 29th. I didn't know he had the old Masonic funeral. He's going to the great celestial lodge in the sky, no net. I just want you to know that. And when he gets there, he's going to present his lambskin apron as, as proof of his atonement for his sins. And God is, is basically, of course, he's not going to get to heaven. But that's what they think is going to happen. Okay, What's going to happen is they're going to plunge into hell. And they're going to burn forever, and they're going to, in that, in that lambskin apron is going to be burned, burned up before they ever even get there, probably, because it's not going to atone for nothing. Ford was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Mason. He was the only president who ever occupied that office without a single vote being cast for him. He became president by others coming to naught through resignations. Former President Nixon had resigned in disgrace from the presidency, and Ford, and. Ford fully pardoned him for all his crime committed while in office, like he had that right. Ford was the 11th president to lie in state under the rotunda in the Capitol building. Let it here be noted that the word capital, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, means Temple of Zeus or Jupiter. Oh, that's, that's appropriate, considering Washington, D.C. was named after George Washington, who was also a 33rd degree Mason, who we have the Washington Monument, who, I mean, I could send you a whole email on that, too, to, to prove that he was um, a very, very high um, participant in the Freemason thing. And then D.C., standing for District of Columbia. Columbia is basically one of these goddesses um, like Semiramis, like Libertaris, um, that are basically devils that, um, um, this is why we have Columbia pitchers and these types of things. Uh, she's just one more devil in the pantheon of the gods and goddesses, okay? So that's what Washington, D.C. is named after. On January 5th, 2007, President Bush declared through legislation that the federal government now has the right to open first-class mail without a warrant, which is contrary to the Constitution. We know that they have been opening mail for a long time, but now they're so brazen and audacious they're even telling us they're doing it. In a shocking article that appeared in Human Events section of the National Conservative Weekly dated June 9, 2006, Jerome Arcosi revealed the Council of Foreign Relations is clearly calling for unification in the United States, Canada, and Mexico to be ruled over by a North American tribunal that would supersede the United States Supreme Court. That's where we're heading, okay, right now. Uh, Pastor Robert Pastor of American University is the vice chairman of the CFR task force for this endeavor. Pastor spoke to the subcommittee on the Western Hemisphere of the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee 
on June 9, 2005, and said, quote, instead of stopping the North Americans on the borders, we ought to provide them with secure biometric border passes that would ease transit across the border like an easy pass permits our cars to go through speed tolls, speed toll booths. Um, biometrics mean we must register our bodies to be identified as North American citizens. This Jerome Corsi actually spoke two months after I spoke on the Prophecy Club tour, and he got so offended by the way he was treated that when he got to Cleveland, he bailed out. Or it was either Cleveland or Milwaukee. Yeah, he bailed out. He said, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done. They, they can't treat me this way. Well, I mean, they, 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 you know, I'm telling you, that was one brutal, brutal tour. And this is an old, he's a pretty old guy. And, uh, you know, he's probably used to having limousines and stuff like that. And, and Stan, you know, that's a whole other story. But, um... The new members of the 110th Congress are now busy as Nancy Pelosi sets her Antichrist schemes in motion. One of her prime objectives is to pass the Stem Cell Research Enhancement Act of 2007. Um, the legislation calls for destruction of human embryos for research purposes. Why is there such a push for this destruction of human life when the embryonic cell research has thus far yielded no results and the non-embryonic research has been so successful. That's because Satan wants to just kill and kill and kill. Clone animals have now been declared safe for food and for food and food products. Supersized cows are now being cloned and are giving up to ten gallons of milk per day. That's why we're, you're going to have that supersize me option. Your supersized glass of clone milk. I, I, I got it. I got an advertisement from. Um, from some organization that's that's going against this, and it says, and it says, got cloned milk, and it has this kid with a big green milk mustache because the not. oh, not milk, not milk, like instead of got milk, not milk, and this kid has a big green like radioactive mustache from his clone milk. Then, then he has this, then he has this milk container, and he's, he's this one cow that has two heads. Yeah, it's a double-headed cow. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, Super-sized cows are now being cloned and given up to 10 gallons of milk a day. The FDA has stated that clone products are perfectly safe. According to Stephen S. Sundeloff, director of the FDA for Veterinary Medicine, I'm glad he makes that, that decision for all of us. Here, let it be noted that the technical name for cloning is a somatic cell nuclear transfer. A donor egg is removed and replaced with the DNA of a cow, pig, or goat and stimulated with electrical shock to cause the egg to grow into a duplicate of the animal from which it came. Oh, that's natural. Cloned animals have a tendency to develop cancer and arthritis in a very short time. The famous dolly, the cloned sheep, died prematurely this very way. So is this safe for humans? Danger looks everywhere, and only the Almighty God can help us. We're living in a country where 2 million people pick up infections in hospitals every year. That's called a nosocomial infection, uh, or iatrogenic. Um... And 90,000 of those people die from the infections. That's probably very conservative. Very, very conservative. Because you cannot rely on medical statistics to get an honest answer. That's like the fox guard in the hen house. You know, please. Another even greater problem is the danger of a chemical called bisphenol A or BPA. Dr. Fred Von Sale of Missouri University has been working 14 hours a day for years to expose the dangers of this commonly used substance. I didn't even know about this. It is commonly used in baby bottles, toddler cups, Lexan, plastic wrap, microwave plastic dishware. 
The grave danger is that BPA mimics the effects of the powerful sex hormones and can cause brain damage of normal organ development and hyperactivity even when present in small doses. Um, Dr. Von Sale also stated that he received a visit from a representative Dow chemical company, one of the Illuminati's finest, and he was asked to withhold the findings. The exact word from the Dow representative were, quote, can we arrive at a mutually beneficial outcome where you hold off publishing this study, end of quote. I'm sure there was going to be money involved. Meanwhile, the government allows the use of 6 billion pounds of BPA per year. Dr. Van Sale also mentioned that many of the plastic items with the number 7 inside the recycling symbol contain BPA. Now, I didn't know that. I thought that those were a lot safer than 1, because the 1, you're getting your, your antimony. It's leaching into the plastics. But now they're saying this one that says 7 has this other chemical. Um, this is just another plain reason why healthcare facilities stay so busy. Now, this is just one more reason to kind of stay away from plastics as far as storing your food, or, or especially, you know, uh, so many things that you want to stay away from plastics for. Um, in regard to that, okay, if you're going to be consuming liquids or foods out of plastics. Even though we have known for a long time the United States of America is not a Christian nation, we now know that it can never be called a Christian nation. On January 4, 2007, Keith Elison, a new member of the 110th Congress from the state of Minnesota, took his ceremonial oath of office on a Koran. <laughs> oh, yeah! Yeah, let's let it all hang out, man. If we're going to do it, we might as well do it right, you know? If you're going to be like the devil, might as well just not hide it, you know? The Koran is, quote, the holy book of Islam, the Muslim faith. The Koran used in the ceremony was once owned by Thomas Jefferson. And the oath was administered by the new Speaker of the House, good old Nancy Pelosi. Um, the sad fact is that this oath of office of the United States government was taken on a book that says all Christians must die, which we've, we've said many of those quotes. Um, uh, it Um, at this point, it must also be noted that on the Dome of the Rock Mosque in the Israeli state are written the following words, quote, God has no son. Yeah, that's what the Dome of the Rock says. Well, what does that say? That means that Jesus Christ is never, was, was a lie. Okay, that's what's on the Dome of the Rock. You know, personally, I don't think the Jews would have a problem with that very much, because they don't believe in Jesus Christ either. So, um... Oh, I know. Talmud and the Midrash and the and the Kabbalah and all that junk. Oh yeah, it's 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 just unbelievable what they say. Um, actually, the the Quran is not really that derogatory about Jesus. He's really not. He's just saying he was said he was a good man, prophet of God, or whatever. But of course, if you believe that, then you follow his teachings. They're totally contradictory to the Quran. So, you know, that kind of goes up. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, I also have in front of me a picture of the late Pope John Paul II kissing the Quran after an audience with Patriarch Raphael of Iraq, where the Pope also bowed before the Muslim holy book. We must also remember that the Quran has exactly 6,666 verses in it. I didn't know that. Nice, nice number there for him. Um... I guess, what would that be? 666 six, six times 11, maybe? 
think that's what that would be. Anyway, um, <clears throat> on December 27, 2006, the Christian Science Monster, Monitor, um, Monster, featured a story from the following headline, Uncle Sam Wants U.S. Muslims to Serve. And I ran this on my, on my newsletter. The article verifies that our government is raising up an Islamic army and the Pentagon is building Islamic prayer rooms and hiring imams, Muslim holy men, to, re to induce recruitment. West Point and other major military academies have opened up Muslim prayer rooms. Imams are serving as chaplains at the U.S. military academies and bases throughout the United States. In addition to that, top non-Muslim officers <clears throat> and... Pentagon officials have been worshipping them and participating with Muslim religious events both overseas and here in America. There is much more to consider regarding the rising Islamic force in America. The presidential race in America is beginning to take shape. The two front runners are Democratic Party Senator Rodham Clinton, Clinton and the man who seemed to come from nowhere, Senator Barack Osama bin Laden. I mean, Barack Obama, sorry. Senator Obama, abomination, is immensely popular, and even Hillary Clinton has admitted there's a very real threat to her pursuit of the presidency. No, there's not, because they, they rig everything. There's, if they want her in there, then that's just going to be in there. Now, I'm not taking God out of the equation. I'm saying he's permitting this to happen. But, you know, go to votescam.com if you don't believe me. I mean, the guy that, the guy that originally put that site up there, Alex Collier, I mean, they killed him for that information. But now it's a lot more prevalent, you know. They don't have to kill people anymore. They basically say, ah, let, let, them, let them read it. We don't care. We, nobody's going to act on anything. So why? I mean, it's not, it's not that that's the case, but very few people do act on this stuff. While Obama does not claim to be Muslim, he obviously has close ties to that religion. His father's name was Barack Hussein Obama of southern Kenya. Of, I'm sorry, Kenya, Africa. Senator Obama was born in Hawaii, but hardly knew his father. His mother was Anne Durrance of Wichita, Kansas, who later married a Muslim named Lolo Sotoyo. Um, Senator Obama admitted using cocaine and living the party lifestyle and drug and alcohol abuse. Senator Obama has become an idol to a lot of women because he's been featured in magazines and his beachwear. Um, and the female sector is now ogling his athletic physique. He has been on the cover of major news magazines such as Time, U.S. News, and World Report. Um... Uh, there is a very real possibility one of these two will be our next president. Either way, we will lose badly. England must also become overrun with Muslims, or has also become. On November 30, 2006, the London Daily Express reported that Muslim laws are now coming to England. Um, the British government is now allowing Muslim laws to be enforced among their people in England, including humans being beheaded for adultery, thieves being decapitated, and so on. I mean, they're, they're, England's being totally taken over with the Muslims. Which, I just, that just seems to me, you, you think of the stiff upper lip British, you, you have a hard time seeing how they would put up with that, but I don't know, they are. The new majority leader for the United States Senate is now Senator Harry Reid of Nevada. Reid wouldn't be an interview in his home by reporters. He took them into his bathroom and pointed to his most prized possession. This is our senator. It was an autographed poster of the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead is a notorious hard rock band noted for their heavy drug cult following. I wouldn't call them heavy heavy metal. I'd call them rock, but not heavy metal. But um, the Grateful Dead, uh, they're very notorious. They're a satanic group of the first magnitude. The followers are referred to as deadheads. Their emblem is a skeleton wearing a tuxedo with top hat with a skull wearing sunglasses. 
They also have as their emblem those little teddy bears. They're dancing. You ever see those, the psychedelic teddy bears? If you ever, if you ever drive behind a car, and it's got like three teddy bears in a, in a line, and one of them's orange, purple, and red. That's the, the symbol of a deadhead as well, as well as the skull symbol with the lightning bolt going through it. A little bit of trivia for you there. What's that? Well, teddy bears actually got their original name from Theodore Roosevelt. That's where actually we get the teddy bear from. There's some story that surrounded uh, Theodore Roosevelt went out on a hunting trip, I think, and he didn't shoot this bear or something, and he he showed mercy to it, and they had now the teddy bears. That's how we get, because Theodore is short for teddy. No, we'll, we'll keep them around, sweetie. Anyway, um, uh, it is true that the center majority leader is a deadhead, and this may explain the residue of the two lines of white powder on top of his glass table, where he was seated with the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, sometimes referred to as Nasty Pelosi. <laughs> so, um, that's in here. I, I didn't make that up. Um, so, yeah, th I've seen this thing about these, these two lines of white powder on the glass table. I mean, what they're trying to do is send a, send a message. You know, Now, if he's a deadhead from the 60s and 70s, well, that's what they did. And now they're the ones that are in power. Had to happen, right? I mean, just like someday the devil generation that's being upbrought now, the, the um, uh, Harry Potterites and all this junk. Uh, I heard that she just wrote her last book, too. She, she just wrote her last one, the, the lady that writes Harry Potter, the witch. Um, but they're the ones that are in power now. He says, I'm looking at a number of pictures of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, on the day she took office. Now, this is unbelievable. As she stood in front of all the dignitaries present, she held a black leather bullwhip in front of her chest and proudly proclaimed, quote, I am the most powerful woman in America. Well, at least she's humble. She held a black leather bullwhip? Pelosi then made... This really must have happened. He's got this all referenced. Pelosi then made two clenched fists and held them in a taekwondo-type karate position. Probably something like this. Or, I don't know. Um, in the next photograph, she is lifting a gavel high in the air with a look on her face that would scare the devil himself if he had a mind to look at her. The next picture shows Pelosi lifting her right fist above her head in the communistic power salute that was so common during the riots and the demonstrations of the 1960s. You remember the Black Panthers... This is the communistic power salute. Just a little more trivia for you there if you want to go out and flash that in public. Anyway. Um, so yeah. She, she, she did that too. She then brings her fist slightly downward, turns her knuckles forward to the... and, and turns her knuckles forward to the striking serpent salute used by Satanists. <laughs> Good old Nancy Pelosi. The late high priest of the Church of Satan, also secretly known as the Hotel California was often seen as striking this serpent salute. Now, this is Anton Sanzador LaVey, that he's in reference to. He wrote the Satanic Bible. Um, he started the First Church of Satan in 1966, May 1st, on Beltane, which is a high Satanic holiday. Anyway, um, without a doubt, hell is being raised, and, and hell's children are now occupying the highest offices of our erstwhile great nation. These last days are strange times with strange people in strange places. One example of this story of what happened to, and this is unbelievable too, what happened to the communist subversive group known as the Black Panthers. I just mentioned them. 
1969, a group of Black Panthers condemned one of their members named Alex Rackley to death for his disloyalty. After being stripped and tied to a chair, Rackley was tortured with boiling water and then shot in the head by Black Panther leader Warren Kimbrough. Rockley's body was then dumped into a river near New Haven, Connecticut. In 1977, only eight years after the trial of these murderers, the shooter, Warren Kimball, managed to get a scholarship to attend Harvard University. Wasn't that the way it should be? You know, when he became one of the best friends of Al Gore. Al Treehugger Gore. Al Global Warming Gore. Al Vampire Gore. You know, he, 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 he has, he carries around blood in his briefcase wherever he goes. He said it's because he's a hemophiliac. Did you know that? He does. Well, hold on. What's the worst abomination, one of the worst abominations you, you will ultimately get to as if you really give yourself over to Satan? Blood drinking. One of the worst. Why should that surprise us? Oh, now you're really getting off the deep end now. Aliens, blood drinking, sucking serpents. You got the... Lord Maitreya stuff going, you're out of your mind. Whatever. How can you explain it then? You explain it to me. You explain these aberrations then. You will have no, you'll have no answer when all this stuff actually starts to go down. It's already going down. It's just being done subtly. And you either observe it now when it's subtle, or you're going to be forced to observe it when it's in your face. But when it's in your face, what you're going to do, you're going to believe the party line that's told you on the nightly news. Like, you're going to get the truth there. Could you imagine if I was on nightly news for, like, maybe, I don't know, let me, let me have nightly news for a month. Let me do, like, a, let me do a three-hour thing every night. We could change America, maybe. Not granted, I'm not going to take credit, but I'm saying that if the Lord was speaking through me, and I was allowed to get up there, I think there'd be a lot of probably shock factor involved for a lot of people. You know. But I wouldn't be shocking them in the way they like. The way they're used to getting shocked. Um, so, Kimbrough later became the assistant dean at an Eastern Connecticut State College. Well, you know, I mean, isn't that... I mean, he shot this Black Panther guy in the head and tortured him with boiling water. I mean... I think ultimately he should go to Harvard and be friends with Al Gore and become the, the assistant dean of a nice big Connecticut college. I think that's obviously where we should head with this. The woman who boiled the water for the torture, her name was Erica Huggins. She was elected to the California school board. The success of these two sadistic murders is owed to two people, both of whom literally shut down Yale University with protests in defense of these murderers. Who were they? One defender was Bill Lan Lee who is now the head of the United States Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. Isn't that great? See, you see the devils we have in high places in this country? I mean, we've got... I would challenge any country to compare to this country. I mean, it, it, it's, it's bad. I would challenge to know any country on Earth other than the Vatican in Rome that's laid out, that has a capital laid out like ours is laid out in such Masonic, devil, pagan architecture. I would challenge... I, I think we're at the top of the heap. Um, this man was also appointed to that position by former President Bill Clinton. Well, who else? The second defender of this murderous Black Panther was a radical law student at Yale University, and she is now being called the smartest woman in the world. She is now Senator from New York and is running with a passionate fire to become the next President of the United States. <laughs> I like how he wrote this, because he doesn't tell you this to the end. Um, I am referring to Hillary Rodham Clinton, 
God help us all. Evil is reaching a saturation point, and soon our Savior will return. Are you ready? If you call upon the Lord Jesus, he will graciously save you and sustain you. Do it now, or time is short. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Oh. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord, and for all your goodness and all your mercy, Lord God. I do pray, God, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, God, your truth, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that my mouth and that, Lord God, though those preaching the truth worldwide, God, that, that you would speak through us in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would lead people to you, Lord God, through the truth, Lord God, not through... Uh, anything that's false or perverted or of a deceptive nature, God, I just pray, God, that you would clearly speak through us and that many would be glorified, that the body of Christ would be used mightily, Lord God, that, that Nonetta, Doug and Lisa and Taylor, that, Lord God, we would be used mightily of the Lord to lead many people to the Lord, God, that your name would be glorified through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that your fear would be upon us and upon those that you call us to witness to, and that, Lord God, you would open the doors no man can shut, and shut the doors no man can open. And, Lord God, we do pray you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form, God. That you would wipe our slate clean, that you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins, and of secret faults, Lord God, that they would not have dominion over us. And we ask, us, we ask all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.